Strategist Cowboy. Today we are going to review the Triple Carmelite, spelled T R I P E L K A R M E L I E T. Triple Carmelite, which is as a triple sort of ale, is lighter than the darker double sort of ale but not lighter in ABV, quite the opposite. If it would have been a quadruple, it could have had an even stronger ABV, but it would also have been darker than a triple. I will not be setting this beer up against any opponent. I rarely do that when I review a Belgian ale. Triple Carmelite is brewed by Bastille's Brouwerij in Bugenhout, Belgium, abbreviated BBB. Shouldn't it then be abbreviated BBBB? Anyway, this Flemish brewery, now owned by AB Inbev, brews some pretty good ales, I've been told. The brewery was founded in 1791 and was owned and operated by the same family till its seventh generation decided to sell to Inbev in 2016. Bastille's brews merely three different kinds of beers. Two of them are fair beers. During the brewing process of this triple, the ale is fermented for a period of over a month with two yeasts and then re-fermented and then bottled after which it is left in a cellar for nine months and rotated from time to time during the course of a week. Lastly, the yeast is removed. A triple carmelite costs whopping 65 Swedish kronas or about 7 US dollars and 40 cents. That is the highest price for any beer I've ever heard about. But it is exclusive comes in a 25 liquid ounce bottle and also demand is higher than production. The beer has got an 8.4% ABV. It contains barley malt, wheat and oatmeal. The fact that there are three different kinds of grain and that one of them is oatmeal makes the beer interesting to review. And also of course because it is a Belgian ale. By the way, on the brewery's website, there are several suggested recipes for dishes that go well together with the triple carmelite. Although the website is hard to find, strangely enough. Why didn't they just pay Google the cheap bastards? The beer is bottled in a nice size 75 centiliters, i.e. about 25 25 liquid ounces bottle with a stopper and by stopper I mean a champagne cork that is held to the bottle with a metal wire. I don't know what that wire is called in the English language or even in Swedish. 
Triple Carmelite is said by the brewery to best be served at 6 to 9 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 43 to 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Systembolaget's standardized temperature is for this ale 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. How about the experience then? Well, I'm not sure opening this is going to go well. But I will prepare two glasses. So uh, I'm shaking it a little so it can create some space here. Wait a minute. And I put the glass on the floor and the other glass. went fine. Up with the glass. The other glass. Okay. Talk about head. It's only head uh, at this stage. <laughs> it's a, a, a little wet spot in the bottle. And, and then the rest is uh, head. Uh, let's see. It almost smells like champagne, actually. I'm not kidding. Lots and lots and lots of foam. Well, it's getting there. It's a little bit, uh, what to say, uh, one moment, feculent. I forgot the word. It's, uh, I see my fingers through the glass, but it's not much more. But I see. Yeah, I do. And uh, it's a yellowish in like a light beer. It's a light beer in color. It smells a little bit sweet. Talk about head. I can't come down to the beer even, can't drink it. I'm going to give it a minute. Well, according to my um, Google Translate, uh, I, I can say like this. Uh, there, I can see through the glass. I can see my fingers through the glass. It's uh, feculent, but I can see the glipper between my fingers. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's the correct English words, but you know, between my fingers, uh, I can see uh, the, yeah, the glipper. Anyway, it's uh, orange-like 
yellow light, orange and light. It's a strong beer, I can sense that. Uh, the taste is... Uh, A little bit honey-like. It's sweet. Not very bitter. Not not at all. Uh, not at all. I mean, I mean, there is a little bitterness in it. But um, it's rich in taste. Mostly because of, I don't know. But partly because of it's a high ABV. You are aware of that when you drink this uh, beer. But it's a high ABV, it is. But many Belgian beers uh, are have high high ABVs. I don't think it's bread-like. Yeasty it is. I think it's uh, slightly yeasty. Uh, some, well, um, it's the undertone. It's a little bit uh, yeasty. I think so. Uh. Yes, it's sweet in my palate and yeasty. And it is a sweet beer, for sure. But not very bitter. And uh, I wouldn't say candy-like. But uh, mandarin, absolutely. It tastes like mandarin. Did I say mandarin? I meant tangerine. Tangerine peels, definitely. And honey-like. I don't. I, I think that um, it doesn't take. Um, it doesn't taste. Um, as uh, as I said, I, I don't think it tastes uh, uh, bread-like. But uh, that's because of the high ABV. Otherwise, it might have. I don't know. The carbonation level is low. It's a lot of beer to drink, but I have to endure. Um, 
it uh, is not uh, creamy but it's not a stout and uh, well acidic or not I don't know it sure is a little bit sour in as in uh, mm. as in lemon like it's not that lemon taste but it's sour like a lemon almost but not acidic I don't think so I, I, I wouldn't say that is acidic it's sour and uh, aberrations uh, it tastes a little bit like champagne in it uh, it I, uh, it's a champagne bottle but it's got a little bit of champagne taste as if it was um, some um, low percentage of champagne in it and the aftertaste where is it there are any spices in it are there any spices in it uh, there might well be Uh, slightly peppery just slightly perhaps but it can be the tangerine peel it's taste it has got a tangerine aftertaste with a, a little bit of cider taste cider or champagne taste yeah uh, in the aftertaste it's uh, it's uh, uh, accentuates a little bit uh, in the aftertaste the champagne taste okay what about grading then I give a lot of Belgian ales a 9 or a 10 but I think I'm going to give this one an 8 devils out of 10 possibles or possible 8 devils out of 10 possible because um, it was not in my taste. It's not a bad beer, of course not. It's a very good and well-crafted beer. But uh, it's this champagne taste like uh, uh, that's uh, either it's champagne taste or it's an aberration, but I think it's more like a champagne champagne taste but should you have champagne in beers I don't uh, think so but uh, I don't think there is champagne in this beer but uh, it's got a taste of a flavor of champagne like taste okay 
absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. For my strategic lessons, you must remember that the, these events stretch over years. It may not necessarily be current events I'm talking about. It could have happened years ago. This week's lesson is a strategic lesson. The Strait of Hormuz. Fact evidence. In late October 2018, Israel's Prime Minister Netanyahu visited Oman under friendly terms. Not long after, following this, Trump said that Saudi Arabia is on the clock. Unfortunately, I can no longer find the source to the Saudi Arabia is on the clock statement, but I distinctly remember it word for word. Very interesting, but I don't expect that Oman will cave in to Israel. Israelis cannot project the necessary power in the Strait of Hormuz region to be able to do that. If Oman will cave in, they will do it because the guy in the background is putting pressure on the country. I am of course talking about Trump. And speaking about Saudi Arabia, the United States is starting to export more goods than they receive oil in the other direction. The amount of oil the US received from Saudi Arabia 2018 is down one third since 2015, while the exports to the country stays the same. So you probably have to look for the explanation there. The US has no interest in sustaining the state of Saudi Arabia if they don't get to import their oil. The numbers one-third comes from the CIA World Factbook 2015, compared with the numbers in the CIA World Factbook 2018 2019. The Strait of Hormuz is 21 nautical miles or 24 miles or 39 kilometers in width at its narrowest place. In 2011, an average of 14 tankers per day passed out of the Persian Gulf through the Straits, carrying 17 million barrels of crude oil. That is 35% of the world's seaborne oil shipments and 20% of the oil traded worldwide. Some say 40% of all oil traded worldwide. More than 85% of this oil goes to Asian countries, with Japan, India, South Korea and China the biggest buyers. Iran has repeatedly threatened to close the Strait of Hormuz throughout the years. This doesn't mean that Saudi Arabia will become a target militarily. It is much more likely that Iran will become a target. But I think we can expect that the US will strive to put pressure on especially the Saudis to not cut back anymore on the oil sales to the US and preferably increase the oil sales quota to the US. They hope to accomplish this 
by projecting more power against the Iranians and by dwarfing the Chinese influence in the nearby region and hopefully in the Arabian Sea and the Indian Ocean. They attempt all of this nowadays with the projection of military power rather than with conventions, national aid and business agreements which previous political administrations may have relied on more. This dwarfing of the Chinese Navy in the Gulf of Oman can be done by confining the Chinese Navy within the South China Sea. As long as America has the ability to project power at sea, more than China has, the U.S. can decide the rules of the game. But the difference between the strength of the American Navy and the Chinese Navy, on the other, other hand, is more than anything revolving around America's aircraft carrier group's superiority in number and capacity that dwarf the Chinese number and capacity. China has an airbase at Gwadar in western Pakistan nearby the Gulf of Oman. If China can continue on with, with the construction of new airbases in foreign countries in and around the region, then America's superiority with their aircraft carrier groups will be leveled out in actual capacity compared to the Chinese. But the US Air Force currently has air, air bases in several Arab countries on the west coast of the Persian Gulf opposite Iran. Should Iran allow China to construct air bases in their country, then the Chinese could place these air bases wisely, meaning more optimal for defense of Iranian oil installations and self-defense than the Americans can do and have done. As a bonus, the Chinese air bases would be more suitable for attacks against two Iran possibly hostile oil nations in the north and west of the Persian Gulf. The Royal Navy seized an Iranian oil tanker, Grace One, on July 4, 2019. As retaliation, the Iranians have at present date, July 2019, hijacked several oil tankers over the past month. One was Swedish-owned but flagged a British piece of cloth since it was registered in Britain, as so many ships are. It is interesting that the Royal Navy's initial hijacking of the Iranian oil tanker took place at Gibraltar and not at the Strait of Hormuz or in the Persian Gulf. It is equally interesting that the British says that they suspected, quote unquote, that the Iranian oil tanker was carrying crew to Syria and that is why it had to be seized by the British, and also that the British seized the tanker in the name of the EU. What about Brexit now? This smells warmongering. According to shipping data, Race 1 sailed to the Mediterranean around Africa, maybe to avoid the, for such a large supertanker, unloading and refilling of its oil at the Suez Canal which would have meant exposing their cargo to potential seizure by Egypt. Or it sailed to the Mediterranean from Venezuela, and if so, it sailed around Africa and passed through the Suez Canal to 
to avoid the British gazing eyes at Gibraltar, Gibraltar Straits. Either the cargo was oiled from Iran or the cargo was oiled from Venezuela. But one of the two options must be true. And it is also interesting that the British hijacking took place on America's Independence Day. A coincidence? No, that is how the big boys talk to each other when they want to deliver a message. 364 to 1 is the odds if you want to contest that. Many years ago, Britain was the leading nation in state-sponsored piracy. And they still are. Royal Navy still has a protocol for boarding other nations' civilian ships. It is not an easy thing to board a ship with a hostile crew on board. Homework 1. Trump said that Saudi Arabia is on the clock. Can you think of any scenarios if the Saudis don't comply with America? What will happen in the region, you think? 2. Do you think that in the long run Iran will gain influence or that they will lose influence should the US threaten with war and then abstain from realizing it? And if Iran gain influence, would there be a war? Would there be a war if Iran dwindled in power and there is a real threat of serious upheaval in Iran? 3. For the overambitious. How do you think that China, if possible, will try to profit from these different scenarios, given the tense situation in the South China Sea? Pick one scenario that you think is the most realistic and suggest China's politics. Saudis don't comply. Saudis don't comply and Iran gain interest in the region. Saudis don't comply and Iran lose, lose influence because of US war rattling. Or Saudis don't comply while civil unrest in Iran. Thank you and see you later, alligator. Oh, thank you.